What's up, my miners of intelligence and consciousness? I'm Rick Brooks, and this is Rick's Mind. Today with me, I've got Rick Fair, who is a an economic historian and a lawyer. What's up, brother? How's it going? Happy to be here. Dude, I'm happy to have you here, man. Um, we've got a lot to get into, but I think a really good place to start, you know, kind of chatting would be your background in economic history. And I'm, I'm kind of wondering if you could tell our listeners a little bit about that, the particular field that you've really been focused on in your academic sure. career. Yeah. Um, I've been teaching uh, history for God, probably about 10 years now. That was always my, my interest. Being an attorney was kind of secondary to that. Um, <laughs> But uh, it really it came from this. My, my, my dad was born during the Great Depression. Uh, my dad was about 50 years old when I was born. So I had a lot growing up of this mentality of really the reverence of the 30s and just how tough things were. And growing up, that was the thing that always, I guess, just stayed on my mind more than anything when I decided I wanted to be a historian. So I, I, I went in as a... Uh, kind of undeclared historian that I didn't know which field I wanted to go into particularly. I, I dabbled in social history. I've done a lot of research in um, social and racial violence in connection to economic uh, issues and actually I wrote a couple things about that that got published kind of short term here in Texas uh, about racial violence and the economic connections to it. I guess back around 2000. 10, 2011, uh, a friend of mine from uh, the university, uh, we both went to Baylor University and uh, we we and a couple other historians published a book together about, I'll go unnamed in Waco, that has a very sordid history, um, connections with econo- economic issues, um, lots of if, I hate using this term, but it was really big back around 2010, 2011, the 1%ers, yeah. a lot of that mentality. Um, so I, I wrote a lot about that, um, but as I taught, I learned more that my students had a great disconnect in the Great Depression and what caused the Great Depression. It, it's it's a foregone conclusion. We talk about, oh, the Great Depression happened. Well, there are still so many lessons that we're pulling out of the Great Depression. And that, that's got to be my focus in probably the past five or six years that I, I've spent most of my time there and as a, a, a tax attorney too, kind of looking at that because I, I guess I found a symbiosis is where, I, where I'm at now between what I do as a historian and what I do on a daily basis, helping clients with tax planning, estate planning, and sort of looking into the future. But at the same time, when we're trying to look into the future, we have to look back into the past too. So, and I, and I couldn't agree with you more. I think that that's how we can, you know, stop history from repeating itself. We don't do a very good job right. of that no, at all. We're terrible at it. <laughs> That's the most historian answer I could ever give you is we're absolutely yeah. awful at, Just, at trying uh, to prevent problems. It's, it's terrible. I mean, you look at what's going on, and I, and I need to be careful because I will get on a very large nerd rant about, you know, if you look at what's going on, um, what happened in Rome where they just kept – effing over all the Italians and not giving them citizenship. And it just kept happening over and over. And you can see, you can draw similar parallels to, you know, kind of what's not necessarily 
that exact parallel, but what's kind of happening in the United States with the government having complete disconnect with the people and the rich keeping getting richer and richer. And like, um, you know, not that I don't have a, any animosity towards someone that has, that has accumulated a lot of wealth, but like at a certain point, if you keep fucking over the masses, like something bad is going to happen. Eventually you squeeze a particular group of people until they snap and they rise up and they revolt. And so <clears throat> I, I don't want to go I think down right that. back to 2011 with that. I, yeah. I, I think back to, to Arab spring. That's a, yeah. a perfect example. And that was such a fertile time to be teaching this because it was like the first time that I saw students make this connection that these things actually do break. The levy proverbially does break at one point. Yep. Yep. And yep. and it's not just one of these things where, you know, democracy is going to keep going on and on with no problems at all and it's just a perfect system. It's not perfect, let's be honest, nothing's perfect. No, no, not no not at all, not at all. And but one of the things um I wanted to kind of get do you did you kind of look into the Tulsa race massacre of 1921 during your your study because that's something that a lot of people don't know about and I don't know. I wanted to kind of pick your brain about that a little bit. Yes, um, I, I it was on the periphery of a lot of study I did. Uh, I mainly focused uh, most of my studies on World War One and the connection between World War One and what led to the Roaring Twenties and the Great Depression. So okay. I, I guess I come from. I guess I'm the boring historian as much as being a tax lawyer is kind of boring that I come from this perspective of looking strictly almost economically at everything. And that, that's kind of a boring place to be, but I try to pull the social in um, the Tulsa race massacre. I, I can think of that in connection to a ton of stuff I can think of here in Texas that happened. Lynching was a huge problem during the late 1800s and early 1900s. I actually wrote a chapter in a book about a lynching that occurred in a town called Waco, Texas mm -hmm. um, and in 1916. Um, it was actually one of the first cases I, I ever researched. And that prevalence of, of that racial inequity mixed with the economic inequity that happened um, as soon as World War I started, I, I think there was a lot of fuel that happened so let's, at that period. Let's, let's dive into, you're saying, you know, economic inequities. What are those? Because I'm, I'm having a tough time figuring out what those are. If if we really go back to the to the Great Depression, uh, what we can see uh, starting around World War One is there got the Sixteenth Amendment got passed, which was the income tax, which mm -hmm. allowed the United States to levy income tax, and it was aimed only at the top one or two percent of people. But it had a creeping effect. And it's the same thing that happens today. It, it, it has been creeping since 1916 that, okay, well, we're only going to affect the top 1% to 2%. Oh, now, now we're at the 5%. Now we're at the 10%. And then you get by the 30s, almost everybody is subject to federal income tax at some point. And so there's an institutional aspect to this. Now, we have to put this on balance during the period of World War I. Wars cost money. Mm -hmm. And the government was looking for any way possible to fund war. So one thing I wrote about in, in this growing inequity is the the problem of using 
I don't want to call it the social media era, the era, but my, my students always referred to as me talking about the social media of the era. Mm-hmm. And that was propaganda. Yep. Propaganda was so hot in World War One. Uh, there is one class I teach where all I show is World War One propaganda posters to try to induce people to take their life savings and invest in U.S. bonds. You'd see them at post offices. You'd see them at the grocery store. You'd see them everywhere. That was the propaganda, and that was the social media of the time. And, and the goal was, on one side, the United States did not want to look desperate for money by raising the interest rates on these bonds sky high. Because it would have this sort of inverse effect where the only people who'd buy the bonds were the rich. And the rich didn't want to contribute to the war. They wanted the, lo- the middle class and the lower middle class to fund this war. That was the goal. And as a historian, I, I'm going to say that that is absolutely my assessment of what this war was about. So it had a creeping effect into the 20s. And by the time we get to the 20s, World War I ends... And essentially, Germany is paying back war debt on the backs of its citizens and paying back the rest of Europe and the United States. So now we have growing economic disparity going on internationally. But here, back here at home, we won the war. We're building everything. Everything's great. Awesome. Everybody's buying. And this is only something that, that has really struck me in the past probably two years, ever since COVID. And it, it's, it's this concept that we precondition people in World War I to speculatively invest in the 20s. <clears throat> this whole concept of don't let your savings just sit there in that bank account. Put it to good use. Go buy a war bond with it. Help Johnny on, on the battlefield and make sure he's got bullets for his gun. Or it could be something in the 20s like, hey, look at this company over here. It's a mom and pop construction company that's making all this money. Why don't we invest in them? And there, there was this creeping effect where you saw people just take most of their life savings and just invest. And it gets so bad by the t- mid-20s and the way the banking uh, regulatory structure was at the time that you literally had people borrowing to buy into stock. Think of crypto about a year or so ago. Oh, yeah. Oh, John and I know very you had well. Grandma. We crypto bros. <laughs> I've been into crypto since 2011. Oh, wow. And There you go. Yeah, I, 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 I've been, I'm a true believer. I've been too. in it for a very long time. But I always, there's two periods with crypto that just make me think back to the 20s. 2017 and then late 2020 into early 2021 where everybody and their dogs and grandmas were investing in crypto. Yep. So I do want to, I think it's 48 Laws of Power. It's a book I read every year. One of the reasons this, I cannot think of his name, but a shoeshine boy gave him stock tips and he went to the, he went and he pulled all of his money out of the market. And he's like, that's when I knew there was a bubble. Like, and I should have known that with crypto, but I was an idiot. I was a, I was a pig and I was holding on to my coins and they all crashed, but I still got them, baby. I'm not selling ever, <laughs> but uh, I didn't put my life savings into it. I was gambling. It's a good time. I, I, I'll tell you a cautionary story about that. I had a friend that had a, a decent size holding. Um, yeah. We're talking a couple hundred thousand in there. Yeah. And he he put put it in 
probably about a third of the way up into 2017 and then the beginning of 2018 18 rolled around and he ladder stepped his way from a couple hundred thousand down to under 10,000 and, and no one could convince him no one could convince him that, that this was not going to go back up he basically cashed out I think at less than like $25,000 after it was all said and done and it, it, he's not the only story. I, I've heard had students t- tell me that they put they put in like five thousand dollars and they borrowed it and now they're in debt because of it. And oh, hey, you're an attorney. Can, can you help? Because the debt collectors at my door. Oh man! But it's it's oh. psychological. Yeah. I, and I, I, that's that's the other thing I've I've learned over the years of being a historian and also as an attorney. There is such a psychological aspect to money. Well, I mean, yeah, a hundred percent. Because like, I mean. When you are right, even if, you know, it's a bubble and you just, I, I wouldn't get off my, I was, I was in the Wall Street, Bet, Wall Street Bets chat rooms when I was holding I was AMC. Too. I missed, I missed GME. I missed that one, but I was there and yeah. I, I got on Doge. I bought in a Doge like seven cents and I just watched it, you know, just shooting up. And I was like, I'm a genius. Like I fucking got this. You bought in at seven cents. I bought in like at, when it was like, uh, there was at least, uh, three zeros. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was fantastic. But the, the, the rush that you're on, it, it's like it's like doing the tons of cocaine and having the best time of That's your right. life. Just watching you. You're making money doing nothing. Like This is easy. It's I mean, it's a lie. It, it's I, but I, I mean, I, I would lose money again for that feeling. It was awesome. It's it's fun. I And yeah. I, I never I went into it. Not all the money that I put into that was money that I, I could afford to lose, obviously. Right, you know, and 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 that's that's the way it should be. I mean, yeah. you don't put your life savings into no. something like that. I, I I remember when I I finally pulled my money out, uh, a good portion of it. I guess it was early, early this year when when the warning signs were there. I was a big Ethereum bro. I, oh, nice, ETH. I, I I was a miner too. I, oh, I had wow. mining rigs. So, yeah, I I was a true believer. And when I really started seeing graphics cards become available back on the market, because I went through periods where you were literally, it was like hustling to yeah. get graphics cards. Yeah. And I got to a point to where I'm like, man, I went to Best Buy today and there's a 3060 set on the shelf. What the hell's going on? Yeah. And, and then I really started looking and I'm like, you know, it's going to hit. I don't know when. And I talked to my wife and my wife's more cautious of the two of us. She's like, you better get your damn money out. Yeah. 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 I got it. I got it out before, you know, it went down. I I, I think at some point I had close to 80 graphics cards. Wow. I had to sell off. (sighs) And that, that, that was not, not easy. Yeah. Luckily I'm in a good area where I can sell them. I'm in the Dallas Fort Worth area. I feel for the dudes that are out in the middle of nowhere with holding their hands with like 30 or 40 of those. Yeah. It's like, good luck, man. You're never going to sell them. I, 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 my, th- my thinking, we got to get back to history. My, my thinking with the, like crypto, right. is like, if you, there's always a voice that's present. And I think all of us and, and my, I was a big polka dot guy. I went, I went pretty ham into polka dot. I had a, a buddy that worked, um, Let's see, but he worked at like a he was a kind of an accountant for crypto hedge funds, 
And he called me. He's like, yeah, I got a, I got a pick for you, and it's polka dot. So I bought in at like 17, and I watched it march all the way up to 55. And when was that 55? Like sometimes it would fall. I bought in. Uh, I bought Kusuma and Solario. Yeah, so I just I, I can remember the tickers, but I think it's Solario. Yeah. And then ADA, fuck that. <laughs> but I bought into that. Yeah, I bought Cardano. into yeah, car, yeah. I bought yeah, Cardano. You were so yeah, hot you. on smart Car- contracts, dude. I, dude, yeah, they never came. <laughs> <laughs> of course they never panned out. <laughs> they never came. But I see yeah, I, I went I went ham out. into all those. Polka dot was probably the, mo- the I put the most money in. And when it was at 55 and I was just like, I'm a god. Like I, everything is just it's hitting. I know what I'm. I didn't honestly. I didn't. Know, I was guessing, but was, I'm guessing right. When it was at 55, I had this this very faint thought, and that was, you should sell. You've made. You have doubled your money, more than doubled your money, and it's you should sell. Like right, sell, and yeah. when it crashes, reinvest. And you know what I? You know you know what I, I told that voice. Go fuck yourself. It's not going down. <laughs> See, I had the same kind of thing when I bought into Doge in early February or late January. So it was like still pretty late, but like just before the rise started, um, like I said, I bought in at like three or four zeros. I can't remember exactly, but in uh, I ended up selling it in May when it was really running about a like three four days before Elon Musk was on SNL. That I was like really just oh, consternating over. Yeah, I was like, I really feel like I should cash out. This is really good. And I was on, I remember Wall Street Bets or the cryptocurrency subreddit, and I commented, it was like, yeah, I bought in at this. I've got this much. I really feel like I kind of want to sell, but I also don't want to. Like, what do you think? And there was like five people that were just like, what the fuck are you doing? You're up three thousand percent. Sell now. And I was like, okay. And then I just sold it. <laughs> Oh, smart. Um, <clears throat> yes, crypto, very addicting. I believe in it. I think it's it's going to happen at some point. And I think that it'll do what it did in 2021 at, at some other point. It could be 10 years, could be five. I don't know. I would say buy a bunch right now and because it's cheap and hang on. I think, cheap, yeah. yeah. And I think that we're about to see that. Um, it Well, I mean, uh, the economy the stock market, I've, I, I have lost a lot of money. I think all of us have. That if you've, especially yep. if you've, you've been investing. Um, but that's just. I have what thirty to forty years before I retire, so I'm not tripping. Um, it's not fun to see red every day, but it's a fact of life, you know. Um, but, but I do yeah, want to. Yeah. They always promise us our seven percent. And this is one of those years that it's not going to happen. I don't think so either. I, I had a, fr- a colleague that he, he's an economics professor, and he tells me, oh, no, no, oh, man, yeah, we got a couple more months. We're going to hit that seven. Like, yeah. No. Maybe, maybe, no. maybe, maybe if you spend more time investing than I do, you could, you're going to make money. You were, we were in Q during Q4. This is going to be the most where people were spending their money during the holiday seasons and whatnot. This is where, but right. I mean, if, if retail lags off and whatnot, like you may, might be able to get some of those uh, stocks at a bargain. But I mean, I'm, I'm just going to probably start buying Costco and fucking like really Home Depot stock and shit like that. Safe things. I have a bunch in that. I've, yeah. I've always had a bunch of that and quarter four always does really well yeah, exactly. with those. And sell. I mean, it would have been nice to buy like Alaska Air. I bought Alaska when it was down, um, right? Went like at 20, like I bought a lot of airline st- stocks 
it would have been nice to buy uh, more of the hotel stocks, you know, um, during the, the COVID. Like, good God, dude, you could. Someone was smarter than I was and made so much money just just sitting back buying uh, vacant. I'm just going to call them hotel stocks. That's not the industry, but forgive me, I'm not an investor. You know, just do your average retail investor. <clears throat> Yeah. We had an economics professor uh, talk about that. I, I went to talk, I believe he was from UT, and he was talking about how the hospitality industry Thank was going to blow up during COVID. And, and and all of us thinking, what the hell are you talking about? They're about to go bankrupt. And yeah, he's laughing right now because they made... God knows how much money off of that. I bet the hospitality. Thank you. That was that's what I was looking yeah. for. Yeah. Could have bought Hilton. You could have bought any of those hotel chains. Like, and you would have been, yeah. you'd been sitting pretty. And all the yeah. I mean, I just did airline. I, I, what was um? What was it like twenty? I don't. What when? What when did Boeing crash? Uh the, I what, think it was, John, was on the that news. was after the seven four seven Max. Uh, so, stuff. Yeah, uh, pull that I'll up. Look, I'll look into that? that and I'll come back. <clears throat> so this is fun. Obviously, take stock advice from a the internet or people with a grain of salt. But I was in a I was working out in Wilsonville at the time, and I was in the sauna. And this guy I've never seen him before was in the sauna. He's pacing, and he gave the most impassioned speech about why everybody needed to buy Boeing. He's like, "This it's not going to fail." He's like, you wait your whole life for an opportunity like this. They have, they're in with the defense. They have defense contracts. The government will not let them fail. And he's like, I borrowed $50,000 from my dad and I bought Boeing. And I was like, really? Okay. Well, here's here's your answer. So it worked out for him. Yeah. In the long run. Uh, So the, the fleet was grounded. The 747 max or 737 max fleet were grounded between March 17 and March 19. Um, And their stock crashed right around then. Um, I can't find any more than five years, but there, I mean, they tanked when everybody tanked in March of 20. Um, what was the low? What was the low? Down, yeah, ninety five oh one was the low in March. Oh, what's, it, what's it at right now? <laughs> one forty three. Yeah, dude, the uh, I the mean, high like, though the high was up to four forty in yeah, March of yeah. nineteen. Yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. wait. It, how much is it right now? Right now it's one hundred and forty three dollars. One forty three eighty four, and yeah, the the max was on. Uh, March first of nineteen was uh, four forty sixty two. So. I bought a bunch of Tesla. Yeah, like that was... right, right as the market crashed. Like, watch <laughs> Tesla just continue to cra- yeah, crash. Yeah, no, even I bought more it. I bought it when Homeboy it was high. I bought a lot of it. I, I got. Con- I was listening to Kevin O'Leary, and he talked me into it. He's like, "It's a data company." I was like, "Oh, fuck, you're right, dude. I'm buying it." And I, I bought. Uh, yeah, I bought Tesla. <laughs> I, it, it was nice to see the share split. I should have bought. Wait, what's uh, what's Twitter? What's Twitter trading now? I'm sorry, we have to get off Twitter. I, mean, I could talk. I know that Musk talk bought Twitter. Uh, he bought it at like yeah, fifty five yeah, a share. E- Elon just went in and cleaned house this morning. Yeah. <laughs> it's currently at fifty three seventy. Where's it at? Fifty three seventy currently. I don't think I bought any uh, Twitter, but I, I think if fifty. I, I, I'd probably I throw. I I'd probably throw like two two G's at it. Uh, I, feel, I feel like it's going to go I'm, up. I'm an Elon Musk supporter. I'm a so, huge yeah. <laughs> fan. I, yeah, he cleaned house today. 
Um, I, I don't know. Did he send an email said, I'm okay with you working from home, just not at Twitter or something like that. Like he's, we'll see what, we'll see what. Oh, it's something snarky like that. It was that. definitely something snarky like that. It's going to be interesting. There's a lot of really funny memes. Um, yeah, that's, that's, we can get into that too, but we have, we're, we are so far off topic right now. I love that. Uh, and you know what? We will have you back on. Uh, it's good to have a, 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 oh, I'd love a, to. an economics guy in my pocket. Um, but I, I do want to get into more of the historical ramifications and I want to bring that back to what you kind of think is going to happen modern day. Cause I really do think and I don't want to be doom and gloom, but I do feel like we're we, we're already in a recession. It's just how bad is it going to be? So I want to go back to 1920s America is where we left off. And I want to talk about, so people are being convinced to buy in the stock market right now. They're putting their life savings in it. And that's kind of where we left off. Right. The, the problem that we saw that happened through the mid 20s and i guess it was around 27 28 and then it really hit a peak in 29 was aggregate demand slowed down and i don't want to go to you know economics 101 terms here you know we hear about gdp all the time Mm -hmm. aggregate demand is is another another permutation on gdp and when we see that slow down that spelling a recession is going to happen. I, I, I'm one of those economic historians that follows aggregate demand. There's, you can ask a lot of us, we'll all give you different answers. But to me, aggregate demand was the big, big flag that told us the recession that turned into depression was going to come. And what it is, is you've had too many people in the market, kind of like crypto, too many people in the market, too many people know about it. It's oversaturated. And now we're at a point to where the economy is actually starting to slow down. And that right there is what can breed that, that differential that can lead uh, to things like the Great Depression. Now, today... Um, we're in a little bit different situation. I looked this up before the episode today, and aggregate demand is still doing pretty well. Um, one of the reasons uh, you can look back to 2020, why, why 2020 hurt so much was because of, of the shutdowns. All, all the, uh, Everybody closing down. A- aggregate demand came to a screeching halt because you didn't have people in the workplace. Everybody's working from home, and industries are essentially reinventing themselves. We're, I, I think we're at like the tail end of what I heard one economic historian talk about is phase one of industry post-COVID. So we're, we're looking at how is industry changing? Uh, you know, I see it every day here in DFW. And uh, if anybody ever tried to figure out DFW traffic patterns are insane, you'll never figure it out. Uh, I've always tried to figure that out with how is business doing depending on how many cars are on the road? You know, the toll roads are making money, but you can't really figure out a pattern. And what I've seen since COVID is you're starting to see a lot of people on Fridays work at home. Like toll roads are cheap, nobody's out. Okay, now so that's telling me a picture of what's going on that we're having more people work at home. Okay, now how is this affecting the bottom lines of these industries? And this is more going from the big broad umbrella to the micro mm-hmm. that, that I, I think most economists really miss is we got to really dig down into the varying industries and say, 
how are they doing in a post-COVID world? That is where we need to be looking for what our answer is going to be for the next two or three years. Because there are still still some industries that are barely getting by. What what industries um, do you think? What would those be? Uh, uh, there's a lot of industrial industries that that are still struggling. Um, big general contractors, uh, you know, yeah. Obviously, can't mention names, but as an attorney, I have some clients who are general contractors who who are going through buy sells right now. They're going through mergers. Mm-hmm. They're doing all sorts of things to get more liquid capital on the table. Now, th- this is getting to be a, a phenomenon I'm seeing with these types of businesses. Is you look at them on paper, they have money. But they're but they're cash they're cash poor. They have no liquid assets, yeah. and, and they're scrambling for liquid assets. Uh, another one that is getting hit harder than you would think is the rental industry. Uh, I can th- I can think of two or three uh, large uh, companies here in the DFW area that are absolutely cash strapped. Because why is that? Because that's counterintuitive to my thinking, right? I'm I'm. Right. I think about when I think about rentals, I think when the economy's down, you're going to do better because a lot of people might not be able to afford their houses and then go and have to either a their their house gets foreclosed on and they have to either go back into apartment complexes or they have to go into like a you know single family home or a duplex or something like that. So like you know, we've been told our whole lives that like real estate is pretty much bulletproof. I mean, that's true to a certain extent. What's going on in China is, 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 yeah. a, is a bit different, right? That's more of a Ponzi scheme situation mm-hmm. that's going on in China. But but here, it's very different. Yeah, very yeah. different. But I'm wondering, you know, why the rental industry? Would it would it be because there are people like Blackwater that are are, are, are VC firms that have bought a shit ton of houses and uh, they don't have enough tenants yeah. to fill them? Is that kind of the issue? There's that. There's about two or three things in my mind that I think the one I have to prioritize the first in my mind uh, from being an attorney. And I I also do real estate Mm -hmm. too, real estate law. We had a lot of clients after COVID that they could not kick out tenants because of all all the shutdowns, all the federal shutdowns. Think about that. And, and, And there were two or three bigger operations I can think of in Texas that own a lot of real estate, a lot, a lot of apartment complexes, multifamily. And they were borrowing cash through COVID. Oh, PPE loans? Because of how many people? They get those PPE yeah. loans? The, the PPP yeah. loans and, PPP, and then yeah. the, the, EIDL, the EIDL loans yeah. too. And those are the, I'm going to tell you right now, those are the fucking kiss of death. Those damn loans will follow you after you die. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I we we've done a state planning uh, for some family run businesses that I know when the kids take it over in ten years they're still going to own those those damn. Loans. Those are all governmental loans, correct? Yeah, th- through the Small Business Association. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, so you've got that on one hand. Where what we're seeing is you have these businesses that are cash strapped that borrowed cash just to make make do during COVID, and now they're finally starting to make money again. Mm-hmm. Finally starting to make money and build up the cash reserves. So the cash reserves are not there. And, and if, the res, if the recession gets as bad as a lot of people would think, there's going to be a lot of these companies, these smaller to mid-level college town um, kind of uh, rental companies I can think of, they're going to be hurting really bad because they're the most cash-strapped, at least from my perspective and what I'm seeing in Texas. Um, 
with that, you've also got what you pointed out. There were a lot of opportunists uh, during COVID because of foreclosures. Uh, Bought up a ton, a metric ton of property. And now, now that the economy is starting to recover a little bit, now that people are getting jobs, you know, inflation's staying, uh, inflation's going up, but unemployment's still pretty, you know, okay for as it can be in a situation like this. So more people are buying again. And we've been in, in a bull run for the housing market. People had been borrowing up until about three months ago at just insanely low rates. So why the hell go rent if you can borrow at, you know, sub 3% like some people mm-hmm. were doing? So that's hurt. That's hurting these people who were banking uh, these companies that were banking on so many people renting. And so now we got this weird disparity going on, where you I'm seeing here in Texas a lot more lease to own properties. Oh, interesting. That, that you you have uh, institutional investors that are saying, well, we our eyes were bigger than our stomach. And now we have to start paring down on some of these properties because long term, they're in these very nice school districts, they're in these very nice neighborhoods, and you're not going to find a family making seventy five thousand dollars. You can afford three thousand to rent a month. No, that that's just the reality of it. And with inflation going the way it is right now, I mean, you think of it this way. And, and, you know, I'm speaking from DFW because I know the area very, very well. And why why would you have a house written for $3,000 a month when you could get a mortgage on it for about twenty six? Yep. The same damn house. It makes no sense. It doesn't. And yeah, taxes are fluctuating. But you, you should, it I should mean, be cheaper, generally, <clears throat> to rent something it than it, it would be it's to not. buy. Yeah, it, that's insane to me. And that's the issue. the The issue with my only and I'm I am all about people making money. But when you have these VC firms that are buying up homes and then I, not I mean almost artificially inflate, inflating the prices of houses, right? Like that's kind of like be, for whatever reason we, we all have this weird att- emotional attachment to the American dream. Um, we everyone's like we got to be able to own a house, and when you know you have people that can't do that because there's a bunch of money, man. That that kind of fucking sucks, and it's not okay. It but I'm totally fine with some dude that has you know ten properties, some some you know business guy. But if it's like a, I don't know, you know, it's 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 a. I wouldn't want to pass any laws to stop it, but the ethics of it seem a little. Long. I don't know, man. It's it's complicated. There's I'm a, there's part of me that's a hardcore capitalist. I'm like do it all, but there's also part of me that's like you know. Yeah. That's. I have real mixed feelings. Uh, most of most of my clients are small to mid sized family run mm-hmm. businesses, and these and these are good people. I would say ninety nine percent of our clients are good people. They're trying to do the right thing for their tenants. You know, the toilet breaks, they get somebody out there. Air conditioning breaks, they get somebody out there. They're good people. And these VCs you're talking about are the ones that are giving the rental game a bad name. Yeah, I know. They really are. They really are. And I I see more tenants now. And and the way I've been drafting um, rental agreements lately is, and I hate saying it's so stupidly one-sided towards uh, the landlord because the landlords are scared as hell of getting sued. 
So that so they they want to lock them down from day one when they send that deposit in, and it's damn near impossible to sue them unless it's something that affects public health, like you know the air conditioning out in. Um, I know you guys are on the West Coast, but here in Texas, I mean, my God, we had thirty plus days of a hundred plus yeah. in DFW. Air conditioning is non-existent it here, sucked. unless the buildings were built like after nineteen ninety five, two thousand, maybe, and that might be generous, right. honestly. One of my favorite places on earth is up up near you guys. Um, I'm a big fan of a little town called Port Angeles, oh, Washington. Huge town. Beautiful. And out there, it's beautiful. I'm a mountain biker. I go out there and mountain bike every really? year. Really? It's gorgeous. And that's where, yeah, that's where I want to retire. <laughs> I, I, I have a lot of West Coast sentiment in me, even though I'm from <laughs> Texas. And uh, yeah, th- that's the end goal. I will end up there somehow. Oh, yeah. We'd, <laughs> uh, but we'd yeah. love to have you. Just don't tell anybody. That's their only Yeah, keep role. it quiet yeah, on the way in. Don't, more than welcome. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, you, you don't say much in Texas about it either because Texas is so weird. We're, we're very Southern in a lot of ways, but then there are parts of us that are very Western in Minnesota. So I, I grew up and in so there's a, I grew up in Alabama, uh, but my parents lived, they met in Texas. They lived in Texas for a long time. I've been to Texas a bunch of times. The way I always tell everybody is that like, Texas is not the South. The South is like Georgia, Florida, Alabama, North Carolina, Tennessee, those places. Absolutely. Texas is Texas. It, it's its own place. It is. It's, it's, it's a great place. A- every city you go into. It, 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 every city is. Every city's, you know, they have their own, have their own flair, and you all kind of hate each other. Like, everyone's like, Austin's the, the kid that... That went away and dyed their hair, but is really artistic. And Dallas is, I'm very businesslike. But you still have a little bit of hippie in you. If you go down to Deep Ellum, at least when I was there, Deep Ellum was pretty pretty like Portland. It was like, this is like the Portland of Dallas that I've found. And then San Antonio is its own thing. And it's, I, I mean, that's where I was born, is Texas. I was born in yeah. Paris, Texas. That's yeah, awesome. So, but I've been... Paris, Texas. I know exactly oh, where yeah, that's man. at. <laughs> oh, yeah. Small town. Yeah, it's... It, it, it's real strange because, you know, even here, I'm a huge baseball fan, huge sports fan, and I, I can't root for my own team right now in DFW Please because don't say the, Astros. the Astros, my oh, team. the Astros are your team? Well, I, I am adopted Astros okay. fan because my wife That's is from fair. Houston. Okay. So I, I'm from the DFW area, uh, but our Rangers are god-awful. Yeah, they kind of always uh, are. Yeah. Corey Seager did not save us, even though we got him from the Dodgers. Now, you, you, you football guy? I Dallas am. Cowboys. Yeah. Yeah. Man, me raised. too, man. Yep. Yep. Very unfortunate. Border raised. <clears throat> yeah. My, 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 my dad always said he was going to die before he saw the, the Cowboys go to another Super Bowl. He was right. He died 19 and he never got to see it. <laughs> oh, we won't. We live in Jerry's world, man. Jerry Jones. I, I used to have a love hate and it's, it's skewed more towards hate this year than it has been in a long time. And that's unfortunate. My kids want to go see him play the Eagles. Uh, like I think it's on like Christmas Eve or something like that, and we're going to go see him play the Eagles. And I've looked at the price of those tickets. I'm like, my God, I'm a lawyer, but Jesus Christ, it's <laughs> expensive. Yeah, don't buy a bottle of water there. You're going to be paying twenty no. bucks for it. I got every every Cowboys fan must return home though. So I'm planning a trip out there. I, I got to see, I got to see the stadium. I, I've heard I've heard cool things. So. That's the plan. Uh, and, the, and, you know, the last time I was in Texas. I've been in there oh, a bunch. Nice. Nice. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. I've been in a lot, a lot of high school football games and college stuff there. It's beautiful. Uh, 
very well worth worthy. And I actually took my kids to see WWE there earlier this year where they were at Jerry's World. Nice. Is that now? Is it loudest I have ever really? heard? Really? Yeah, I don't understand WWE. Yes. Like I want to. I'm I if mean, it if it ever comes to Portland fun. again. If it ever comes to Portland again, I'm gonna go. I you should to. totally. I would go with you. It's just I'm not even the biggest fan, but it's just fun. You know. I gotta go. It's like it's like aggressive theater. <clears throat> I, yeah. Yeah. I, I was an Undertaker fan. Tell, tells you when I, I was raised. I was you know an '80s kid that was raised in the early '90s, and I was an Undertaker. That was fan. the Attitude Era, right? Yeah. Stone Cold Steve Austin, the Undertaker. Uh, yep. I don't even know. I, the Rock was the Rock in the Attitude I can't Era because no, I, I, I he came in. Was he? I thought was he came in at the end of that. Probably. He was near the I was, tail. I was end always of big it. into end of NWO. I think it was. Yeah, because. Uh, I yeah. think it was Scorpion was my favorite, the guy with the face paint. <clears throat> yeah. Scorpion was in the NWO. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. That's as, that's as much as I, I got into it. But I, I did want to ask you, as much as you yeah. like, were drawing from the past, um, do you think, you know, we, we, we kind of talked about, um, forgive me, I forget the term, the thing that you look at um, throughout history. Um, it's a lot like GDP. I cannot remember the term right now. Aggregate demand curve. A- aggregate demand. demand. The aggregate yeah. demand in the economy yeah. is doing pretty well, surprisingly. But like, are there any yes, yeah, any themes that you're seeing from circa you know 1920 or any patterns you're seeing right now? Because I always thought it'd be funny if you know we were roaring in the 2020s and then had a, like a depression in 2030. Like I always thought that that would be serendipitous history doesn't work like that but you know i i i I can point to two things that that, uh i when i always teach about the the great depression and the the cause of it i go down a list of about four or five things um two that i'm thinking of right now with what i'm seeing is growing inequality and increasing consumer debt. Those were absolutely causes that led to the Great Depression, and they're absolutely things that we are dealing with right now. We're, we're dealing 10 years uh, of growing social inequality, now economic inequality because of COVID. There are so many people who have been hosed that have not recovered, and I, some that probably will never recover, businesses that will never recover from COVID. And you think of how much consumer debt was charged just in 2020 and 2021 alone to prop up people. That right there, to me, from how I've studied the Great Depression, those are the warning signs. Mortgage failure rates are still going up. No one wants to talk about it. It's a dirty secret that that mortgages are failing. People are getting cars repoed. I didn't. People getting cars repoed. It's still... So so there's a telltale Um, sign. Because I've noticed... Even on my little social media, right? You can go to Instagram, Gary V, follow all these inspirations. Their tones are starting to change. They're start, starting to talk about saving money. And, like, you know, I heard Mark Cuban mm-hmm. talk about, you know, inflation. Maybe, you know, maybe you go out and buy, you know, go to cop, buy a bunch of shit. And I was like, Mark Cuban, what are you talking about? This is strange. So I've, I've started to notice that the people that are, a lot of business leaders and entrepreneurial like channels and whatnot. They're they're sort of their messages are sort of starting to shift. And I'm a, obviously they know more than I do, so I'm definitely thinking we're in 
for something. The, the, the trick is trying to figure out when that is. And it may have already begun. It, I mean, from the things you're telling me, it's already begun, right? You have the Fed take... I think it you already have, You has. have the Fed taking extreme measures in, in <clears throat> raising the interest rates, uh, being very aggressive uh, to combat inflation. Extremely, the, the, yeah. the, Which is driving the value of the dollar up. The only, the only problem is, is, is for this to work, everyone... They're counting on prices remaining the same, and everyone's raising their prices as well. So it's that's, just that's the so problem. Then it forces with this, them. <clears throat> that's the problem with this uh, recession is that, or the inflation is that, the majority of the inflation is an actual. There is inflation going on, but the majority of it is profiteering. Is people just like the gasoline that's, prices is solely just fossil fuel companies gouging everybody to get all the money they lost in 2020 and 2021 from people not driving and, and taxes too because yeah. i was just in i was just in tennessee and in the, the south and it was like three dollars a gallon i was like oh my and what, God, the, what was it i think it was september what was inflation like 8.6 percent or something like that so Pull it's that like, it was like slightly better like but they weren't include i forget my mom and i were talking about this and she John, you was a, just yeah i'll you find pull that. that up yeah um, <clears throat> let's see but yeah, there's there's a lot of. Um, I think it's begun, but I mean, when is it actually going to hit? Uh, that's that's the billion dollar question, right? It's already hit. I, I keep hearing economists say that we're going to turn the corner by quarter two, twenty twenty three. I I'm probably doom and gloom, but I am extremely skeptical yeah. that uh, there's a. I I think you're right. There was a good podcast. It, it's. It's they're a bunch of contrarians. Like when I say contrarians, they're like fucking buy gold, buy you know like that. <laughs> I <laughs> love bros. them. I love yeah. listening to them. Uh, so they get September, terrified. September uh, consumer price index was eight point two percent. Damn. But that Damn. there was a, there's another Damn. there's another index God. that's much more accurate that doesn't. It doesn't equate for like some sort of that the actual inflation in reality is actually probably closer to sixteen and a half percent. Probably, I'd have to find. I can't remember what that's called. I yeah. think we're gonna be in this for that, a while, but is it gonna affect? I, I I don't think roses and puppy dogs are coming out in quarter two like like no. some people are saying. No, but you also have to have you also it's have to have consumer great. confidence, right? And and I, there's how much of how much of the there's two problems that I face here. Number one, I don't pay attention to the news. I've, so I just, it's too depressing for me. And I, I, you know, I check my portfolio, but I don't necessarily, I'm not super engaged in like following economic trends and whatnot. But I wonder how much, I wonder how much of really what's going on is kind of being covered up because we are we've entered into an election cycle right so i want i think that's having a I, huge effect i do on too it. i do too I, I think a lot of shit's not coming out right now for either side uh because there's votes to be won so i mean it would be it would behoove me and i need to start doing this is really looking into you know what's going on what what kind of that's when what, it gets difficult to find the news is when you have to like you don't you don't watch the news or read the news you read everything that's going on around the big stories because then that's how you can figure out what's actually happening yeah. like um 
what what is it? I've yeah. seen lots of figures that statistically, like and adjusted for inflation, we're at a much higher wealth disparity now than we were during the Gilded Age. Um, I think it's uh, I just sixty sixty nine seventy percent. Q here Q one of twenty two, sixty nine point one percent of all total wealth in the United States was owned by the top ten percent earned income earners. It's hard to dispute. Awesome. Yep, and and there's one thing in particular mm -hmm. that helped yep. that. That yeah. see so that's that was something the largest that largest uh, wealth transfer, transfer of wealth, wealth in, in the history. history. Yeah, that's something that is not talked about a lot. Is how so many. All of that money went to some of the largest corporations on the planet, right? Like, I don't know. I don't know how we come back from that, and I don't really even know if we realize how much we lost. I think we'll be feeling the ramifications for that for years to come. I'm not sure how, but I definitely think that wasn't a good thing. Um, <clears throat> Again, you know, I think it's psychological. I, I, I think with the lockdowns and everything like that, just the fact that people can go out and eat dinner with their spouse if they want to, that was seen as, oh, God, we'll never be able to do this again for two years. Now you've got that psychological aspect, but, and no one's thinking on the underlying of we're never going to be the same economically. This is going to take years to sort yeah. itself out. I mean, you look, you look what, at the Great Depression. It hit in 29. You could argue, and, and I, I'll, I'll agree with this. Most historians say around 33, the, we start stabilizing and working our way mm -hmm. back up. But we had one little pesky thing called yeah. World War II that helped us accelerate I that know. greatly. We have something right now that... I, I, God, and I, I don't like being a damn contrarian this much, but I, I look back, and the thing I think of the most is I graduated with my master's degree literally two months before the recession of 08, 09 hit. And I, I, you want to talk about the world's worst job market to enter? Good Lord. That was a terrible terrible time to come out and you've got a master's degree in history and the only thing you can do is teach and, I'm, and I've already got a kid and it's like oh my god you know and, and I, I remember talking to my dad about it he's like well son this is how it was back in you know the early 40s I'm thinking <laughs> wow history's kind of repeating itself here and yeah. no one saw it but I think right now we, we kind of have this blind side to us the same way we did with the housing bubble I mean, we're kind of seeing it right now that, that these mortgages that people were underwriting for stupidly low interest rates. Again, we had all these things that were put in place after 08 and 09, trying to verify income, trying to do the right thing. But with any housing boom, you start seeing people get a little oh, bit cavalier, you, a little bit maverick it, about dude, how they do things. You got to make that money, those commission checks, bruh. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. And you, you're going to have, I, I think, a, a lot of C and D uh, prime level mortgages that are going to go into default if we don't get out of this inflation within probably two or three cycles. Three I mean, there's, there's one thing, though, that we haven't talked about. We're totally off script right now, and I love it. But there's one thing that we haven't <laughs> talked about that would probably save us. 
And I mean, you've got... Don't say war. Oh, buddy. You've no. got uncertainty. John, hold on. You've, you need to be muted here. You've got uncertainty in Europe. <laughs> now, I don't want this. God forbid. But I'm just... All I'm trying to say is we're making a shit ton of money selling guns right now in Ukraine. The, the government is. Uh, if you mm -hmm. also start taking a peek, and I have no idea how I know this, so John Verify could be making things up. I don't think I am. The United States has finally started pivoting its attention towards Africa. And there's a bunch of contracts that have been rewarded uh, to build things in Africa. Because we need we figured out that we needed to start competing with the Chinese because they've been there for 30 years building roads ports and so <clears throat> i'm looking at the the kind of the landscape around and i'm like man i don't know maybe we might be getting into something pretty soon as a way of getting out of this i have no idea i think internationally is, is what that x factor that we need to yeah, be paying too. attention to um yeah you, you, ukraine uh I, I, I can remember the day I, I went and taught a class the day it started. I, I remember I had a student ask me, Professor, are, are they going to nuke people? And I'm like, I'm an economic historian. Don't ask me these damn questions. I don't know. <laughs> but but, but I, I remember the response I gave and I, I, I recorded it because I used it for the next two or three classes I taught. And I, I basically said, we have not paid attention to a part of the world for at least 10 to 15 years now. This is, this is something that we have turned a blind eye to, arguably going back to before 9-11. When, when Russia in, in invaded back in the late 90s, this is something that has been festering mm -hmm. for 20 years and that, that we've kind of kicked that proverbial can down the road yeah. for so damn long now, it's finally yeah. coming to head. And so I, I think this is another thing. You've got COVID on one side, and now you've got the X factor of Russia trying to assert military yeah. dominance. These are things that we were utterly yeah. unprepared for. We, we, and, and I, I think we, we have, have to pay, pay attention, attention to, it. to it. But we also need to, like, there's a lot of propaganda that's going around about that. Like, people are very uneducated on that Absolutely. front. Because it wasn't like it wasn't provoked. Like, this has been going on since the 90s, like you said. But we agreed not to expand NATO. Then we did. We kept doing it. We kept poking the proverbial bear, right? Now, I'm not excusing the actions. Those are, you mm -hmm. know, invading a sovereign nation is complete bullshit, and it, should, and it is illegal. But, you know, to be honest, we've also done the exact same thing with Iraq. <clears throat> not and, saying that— see, this is just yeah. the complexity of—, of yeah, it's just yeah. international politics, and, and international policy is one of these things that I, I feel just woefully inadequate to explain. I, I have colleagues that are just so brighter at this, but but just my simple mind, the way I see it is there. We have been trying to maintain an equilibrium since nine eleven. The terrorism has been the sole focus yeah. of the Western world for almost twenty years now. And now we're finally, the veil is being lifted and we're looking at something oh, beyond Oh, yeah, we definitely, that's a great, that is a really good point. That One that I haven't given a lot of thought to because we have been on the world stage since we've been so focused on fighting wars and terror, terrorists and stuff. We have been outmaneuvered on a lot of, uh, a lot of fronts, especially by the People's Absolutely. Republic of China, 
Russia, you look at like the India mm-hmm. not kind of backing the United States and, then, and and forming that little little pack with China, Russia. Like there's a lot of things, there's a lot of relationships I feel like we've potentially neglected. I'm I'm talking a little bit out of my ass right there. I'm not 100% sure, but like No, you're you're I, you're on you're on part. No, and so it's I, I see a connection between what we've done in the past 20 years right now to how we fought Vietnam. And then the early 70s, the yeah. gas crisis in the early 70s. And, and there, are, there are connections. And I, and I think if, you know, to not go microscopically into it, but kind of look at the bigger picture, this is the problem when America decides that we are going to myopically go after one goal. We're going to defeat communism in Vietnam, or we're going to defeat terrorism in Iraq and Afghanistan. You put on blinders is is what happens. This nation is a very interesting – the thing that I love about being an American the most is we're probably one of the most emotional countries that has ever existed, right? We just – we fight so much amongst ourselves – and you've got like you go back to the the nineteen like thirty nine right we're like we're not going to get in the war f that and then the, the 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 Japanese attack attack us and the wrath that that caused we go in at full tilt right and I I, I you'd think about nine eleven right we have the we have. Bush Gore, like Bush wins the presidency by such a narrow victory, and we're all everyone's kind of pissed off, and um, it's not nearly as divisive as it is today. And then, and then when those towers fall, there's fucking flags everywhere, and it is like everyone's hurt and shocked and all wrath. And at that point in time, to put it into perspective of uh, our military capabilities. Iraq and Iran fought a war, and it took Iran eight years and hundreds of thousands of lives using wave, like human wave techniques to to, to defeat the Iraqis. Not only that, they also used, the Iraqis also used chemical weapons, mustard gas and shit on the Iranians, right, to drive them back. We took pretty much alone with i think japan a little bit of help from japan and uh, great britain we we were in too. baghdad in 21 days shock and awe right we we used a shock and awe campaign yeah. it was it was all 200,000 troops i mean that that opened up other problems on the international front because our the the whole point of us do using the shock and awe campaign was we don't want any military problems with anybody else we want to show everyone how badass we are so they don't poke the bear but then that opened up the 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 yeah. lane for asymmetrical warfare outmaneuvering us and that's not that is the one that's weakness right. that America has always had is our foreign policy and diplomacy has always been garbage we don't generally tend to use um foreign policy and diplomacy as a weapon we never do that very rarely do we do that. We might sanction people, which doesn't fucking do anything. It just makes the people that live in that country that are innocent completely suffer. But we, I'm gonna, I could go on about this for hours. But like, I mean, those are some of the problems that I see. Yeah, 
this has been going on since the turn of the 20th century. Uh, The thing I think about that just came to my head, you you, you talk about the whole idea of shock and awe. Teddy Roosevelt, as soon as he became president, built up our Navy bigger than it had ever been. What did he do? He sailed our great white fleet around the world to say, look how badass we are. Don't fuck with us. DR, man. Yeah, that's big. That's, that's, that's what he right. called big stick that's diplomacy. Right. He was right there. imperialist. That's what you Teddy, did. Teddy Rose, he was a very Absolutely. interesting. I mean, the Rough Riders with the Spanish American War. That's something you know. That can, oh my god, oh, me too, man. Me too. I, I love. I love it too. Even the racial part of it. Like I loved it when they had all these Americans go down um, to. I believe it was was it it was Haiti. Was it Haiti? I think it was Haiti. Oh my God, John, pull that up. Um, Cuba. Oh, fuck. Cuba. Thank you. Cuba and the Philippines. Yeah, that's yeah. not good. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, when they went yeah. down there and they saw the people that were these revolutionaries, they're all black people. And they're like, wait, what? I'm so confused by this. Uh, that's so when they changed their mind about whether we wanted to annex <laughs> Cuba. Yeah, my grandfather fought in the Philippine uh, theater of that war. That was, yeah. That was the first war he was in. So, Wild time. You, you you want to talk about oh, about please. race and imperialism? Let's go back to the Mexican American War. We went we went all the way to Mexico City in six weeks. Zachary Taylor did, and what did we do? We found out we'd have to annex a bunch of Mexicans that would become Americans. And you know what Congress said? I th- no I way! Gonna... I did not know that. So we could have owned all That's of ex- Mexico. Damn. We 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 marched down to Mexico City and held them captive for six weeks. Not the first time we've invaded Mexico either. We invaded in the just before yeah. World War One, and a young George Patton went down as a captain. And I can't, was it Pershall? Pershall? Right. Who was a who was a per, say that one more time? Pershing, Pershing, General Pershing. Pershing. That's it. But. Pershing, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pershing, yeah, yeah. That, that's no, a Pershing. little, fu- the, yeah, that's a fun side note of history. I like, uh, yeah, and 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 see that that's why you know, kind of talking about what we've been talking about, World War One and the Great Depression. That was because that stupid Zimmerman telegram, where the Germans said, "Hey, you know," t- uh, told Mexico, "You want to help us beat the Americans?" Invade. <laughs> yeah, you see how well that worked out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and and the sad thing is, you know, it's always been with Mexico that they've always had counter-revolutionary problems of their own that they've never really been able to stabilize long enough yeah. to stay on the world stage. And that's, you know, we always look at it, historians always look at it as, oh, that's just what happened there. But no, if you look at it, just the complexities that go back to the 1500s in Mexico and the amount of just a melting oh, pot yeah. of different cultural and social oh, yeah, identity it's, there. That's the largest indigenous population. We don't, we, that's we don't the largest get indigenous credit. population on the planet is in, is, is, is in Mexico. Right. And we don't get enough credit when we teach, like I, I teach American mm-hmm. history survey courses. The books gloss over it. And I, I actually taught a, a, a 4,000 level, a senior level class about um, the making of Mexican and Spanish America. And most students had zero idea. Even those with Mexican American heritage had no idea of just how utterly complex. I mean, look that area the behind me. Is. That's that's Pancho Villa, leading, meeting with the Zapatistas. That's uh, I mean, yeah. the the visions del yeah. Norte. I think at one point was probably the most capable military force in North America. At one point, 
I, I, absolutely mind blowing yeah. to me. The the Mexican Revolution is one yeah. of my favorite revolutions on the planet. Just so many characters. I I teach Texas history, so it's near and dear to me because I study it so much. Because it, here in Texas, it's really interesting that we consider the Mexican Revolution very much a part. It, oh, it, it of has our history to be. Too. It has to be. You have. I mean, it's. The, well, let's. Yeah, I can't believe we haven't talked about Texas. Please tell me. You've read The Empire of Summer Moon. I have. Right, Rick, Rick, yeah. Rick, the Battle of the Ricks here. I, the, 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 you see what's happening? We're becoming friends. Yeah, you're a nerd too. Right on. Uh, the, the, <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, I, I think that that era is probably one of my favorite eras Uh the, the Great Plains and the making of Texas and just like you, you really do get a sense for why Texas is the way it is. A bunch of fucking crazy people moved there. That's what happened. They moved there to be away from the oh, government. Yeah. They're like, this is no, this whatever's going on in like Virginia or it's too much, too many rules. We're moving out here. You have the government of Mexico that's like, we're going to give you plots of land and you could just be your own thing because there's this tribe here that likes to raid and they'll raid you and they won't penetrate mm-hmm. into Mexico. And so all these crazy people moved down uh, t- to places like, uh, man, I'm thinking they've moved around Amarillo. They moved uh, around the, you know, Texas, Texas, Mexican border, Laredo. And you'd have tribes from Nebraska that could ride all the way down deep into Mexico, just raiding, pillaging, murdering. And that tribe. All the Great Plains tribes. Yeah. Yeah. At West Texas uh, was not a very friendly place to be. I actually lived out there uh, for a couple years, taught out there in West Texas, and that environment is not hospitable. And just to think of the conditions they, those people dealt with was just, it's unthinkable. The su- uh, summers in West no, Texas are not, not pleasant. Not at all. That is not, not a at all. Place but it's, to be. it's also the, the, a place where there's uh, the second largest canyon in the world i believe and i can't don't pull that up i don't remember the name of that um but i think it's it's just outside of amarillo i don't know he'll pull it up paladero yeah yeah you are correct i think it's paladero so do you know i mean do you know much history about the making of the texas rangers uh a little bit um mostly my my understanding of it goes from uh, the post-Reconstruction mm-hmm. period through about the 18, 1800s. That's sort of my my era. Uh, when they reconstituted the Rangers after – during the Civil War and we were under military reconstruction in Texas, uh, Rangers were basically abandoned and abolished. And then when we passed our – the Constitution, Texas is still under right now. The Constitution of 75, 76, whatever you want to call it, um, the Rangers were reconstituted at that point. It's actually a governor from Waco uh, that was very instrumental, and his name escapes me right now. But, the, but this is – I'm t- talking mm. probably about 1877, yeah. somewhere around there. And the modern rangers that that we kind of understand to be came out of that, but we still had that weird period in the 1880s where that last era of the Old West, and and that is one of my favorite areas to to teach outside of economics, 
I, I just love the dichotomy that existed in that that era. That you had these people that were the, the last of their kind, moving cattle yep. up and down throughout the Great Plains era, and then at the same time, now you're having oil mm-hmm. booms down now, in Houston. This is kind of like the same, and, and modern society is trying to. Yeah, be Yeah, this built is the same time these this. people are, are like encountering barbed wire for the first time too, and they're like, "What the what the fuck is this?" You know, there was a. a a thing I studied about yes, the barbed yes. wire wars yes. that went on in Texas. Me too. I love that era of Texas. It is so much fun to study. And and I had a student, I guess about a year ago, that wrote a paper about it and found some resources I had never seen. And I had I was I obviously gave my A on it. And I was like, man, I gotta write this down. And I started looking through it. And a lot of resources from the Abilene area of people bombing what? other people because of the barbed wire. Yes, I mean all. There was one county well, where all hell broke loose, and people were shooting each other, bombing each other. Well, I mean, of if you think offenses. about it, though, like you, all you've ever known is just this wide expanse of grasslands and hickory trees and scrub oak, a little bit of scrub oak, some rivers. You know, that's all you've seen. And you have all of a sudden you have these yeah. fences dividing, like where you can graze your cattle. And ideally there's this fence separating your herd from like maybe a more idyllic grazing pasture. And it's some guy named Dan. They're like, fuck Dan. This, this is all of ours. This isn't fair. Mm-hmm. What do you get? Well, you have to murder Dan. Cause that's, that's what right. I would do in the 1800s. No, I, I probably wouldn't, but yeah. And it's, it's interesting because with the barbed wire incident, this is when you first start seeing people surveying yeah. land and parsing and parceling it out. Uh, as a as a, a real estate attorney, one of the coolest things I've ever been able to do, and my history nerd hats on with it, I have seen parcels that go back to that era where this is the first time they parceled up these hundred to two hundred acre tracts of land that Bob owns it on this side, and, and then Dan owns it on the other. And you go back and, and you look through the history of these small towns where this happened. These surveyors were getting shot at. They were getting beaten up because they were seen as ushering in a new era of evil, of restriction that, that people in this era had never known. That's actually something I've been throwing around writing about. It, it is I interesting find it so because interesting. I, it's it's such an interesting era. There's part of me that's like it's unfortunate that those people lost because Texas is one of them. It's the most locked down place as far as land goes. It's all private, so this is where there's a a, a weird all- dichotomy, right? Because like I I'm pretty extreme capitalist, but I also fucking love public land, and that's one of the cool things about living on the West Coast or in Oregon. Washington, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, there are vast tracts of land that we all own, which is super cool. People Oregon is the only, only state that has the entire coastline is public it's land and cannot public, yeah. be, cannot, mm-hmm. no one can own the beaches in Oregon. <clears throat> I love it. And that's, a, yeah, and I love that. I think that that's one of the, mo- that's the best thing ever because you, you, you do get what happens in Texas? Like it's completely locked down. You have to pay money to go see any sort of like. I don't even. Do you guys even have any like? You do have a national park, obviously. You have like a few. We we have uh, state parks and we have we one, have uh, yeah. one national park. Uh, but yeah, but 
Texas did have public land mm -hmm. after the Civil War, but most of it got deeded to either the University of Texas oh, or Texas A&M. Really? And so that got to be the endowments that these two large universities had was the sale of that public land. Also, a good portion of it went to a railroad speculators who built railroad through Texas after after uh, the Civil War. That that was you know arguably one of the reasons, just from a pure economic standpoint, the South lost the Civil War was lack of infrastructure. And Texas to. Texas's credit from an economic standpoint, they knew this. They knew this immediately after the war, and they jumped on people saying, hey, dude, you want to come build some railroad here? We'll give you the land, do it for free. Yeah, but man, you, pennies yeah, on the dollar. You, it, it makes sense, and it's awesome, but also like kind of sucks because, you know, it does. It, it, it kind of sucks because you just can't recreate wherever you want. You know, like that's the one thing that I, I, I absolutely, right. as an outdoorsman, like I love that I can go out and recreate and camp and do, you know, backpack. Yeah. Some jealousy you guys on the yeah. West Coast. You guys can do that. <laughs> no, and, hey, there's there's no, public no, trails. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, what are we going to do? Yeah, we're going to go to a trail that we have here, but but we're sharing it. Yeah, you have to, that's have to another strange thing. That's what I'm saying. Like, I see the, the pros and, and cons of it. It's, 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 it's just, it's a strange thing. Like, that's, I don't know. And, and I, I, th I think in a lot of ways, it's the concept of capitalism has, mm -hmm. has evolved since the 1800s. That that the, there is there is this dichotomy between capitalism as we understand it today, and capitalism for the betterment of an entire state. Like I, I, I think Texas was coming at, and I'm not being an apologist for him. It's it's something I always tell my students about taking these tough questions like like what you're talking about right there in history, and how can we not apologize for what they did in the past? but have enough historical insight to understand the reasonings and say that doesn't work today. Rick and I have this conversation constantly. I and, am and that's kind tough. of like, I, I like the like OG <clears throat> capitalism where, you know, the idea of, you know, there's a market, somebody sets a price, you figure out what you want to do, you barter for it or whatever. But there's uh, yeah. I I can't remember the name, the name of the author, but there's a book called capital is dead. Is this something worse that the idea being that, uh, the person who wrote it is a Marxist and they're coming at it from analyzing it from a Marx, uh, Marx perspective. But even they say that like what we have now, you can't really analyze it with what Marx talked about because we're in something completely different. We're, we're far beyond capitalism. We're into like a kind of dogmatic, almost like corporatist control cycle where there, there is no, there is no free market because there's, there's no way to actually regulate anything because the regulators are the regulated. Yeah. And I, I refer to this a lot when I teach, I had to teach the 20th century part of uh, American history that, that we are on that slow march towards becoming an advanced democracy like Europe and, and with it, capitalism is evolving. And and we're, we're in capitalism 2.0 in, in a lot of respects because you know let's let's go let's go back to Adam Smith in the 1700s. The idea of true laissez-faire capitalism that existed then is foreign to our yeah. understanding of capitalism today. I mean, you you can't go make a factory and make nukes there and go pollute the world without some regulator coming in and stamping you down. 
I mean, a true laissez-faire capitalistic society, you should be able to do that. But we exist in this this new version of capitalism, but we're still using the term. And I, I, the academic debates that happen in college all the time is, is it Marxist or is it capitalist? And, and I think that's too Imagine myopic. if there was more, that's, than, that's too more than two ways to for, do things. Like It's like if it isn't capitalism, it's communism and vice versa. So, yeah. That's that's right, but but you know when you look at these discussions in college, this is what we're talking about, and this is what the textbooks prompt. And I think the job of the professor, and why still, you know, I, I could not teach; I'd just be a lawyer and go on with life. I have a, a love of doing this because it, the world's it's, more complex. it's incredible. Mm-hmm. It's, it's incredibly complex, complex. Um, and we live in interesting times. I think we live in some of the best times ever, and but I definitely think that we have to figure out a way to navigate um, and communicate and go forward and be open to new ideas. And <clears throat> the sooner that we're able to kind of learn that and learn how to, to listen and, and talk and also accept different b- viewpoints, the better off we're going to be. Um, and I, Absolutely. we, I want to be respectful of your time. I'm definitely having you on again, man. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I'd yeah. love to. I yeah, this so has enjoyed been fun. this. This is great. This has been fun. You, 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 you. I'm, I'm excited. You, you're working on a book or anything? Where can, where can the good people find you? Uh, I, I'm, I'm working. Uh, hopefully, by the time. Uh, this episode goes out. Uh, I'm working on my Ghost Lore Folklore podcast, which is kind of my baby. That that that's my love is that subject, and um, hopefully start doing some interviews with some people. The thing I'm focusing on right now is the Resurrection Mary Tale. Kind of you know, good for good for Halloween right now. But there are so many versions of this tale, and I just really want people's insight and information on this just to try to understand the historical and educational context behind it, too. So uh, there'll be a podcast uh, coming out. My wife and I are doing it together. It's called no, a Spooky like Context. Like We're calling it that. Uh, and it, it'll it'll be up. We we worked on two episodes so far. We'll get the third published uh, probably tonight is when we're going to do it. So hopefully look for that on Apple, Spotify, and uh, Google. Fantastic. About a week or so. Well, Rick, it's been a pleasure. And again, a lot of people are asking how they can support the show. Simply, you can do that just simply by liking and subscribing on YouTube and on anywhere you get podcasts. Also, uh, if, if you feel that we are worthy of it, please leave us a five-star rating. That, that helps the show grow as well. We appreciate you guys. We love you. And uh, we'll be back next week. Bye.